All right, I want to say good morning. Firstly, I should talk to everyone for a, for a beautiful, really magnificent and special seum last night. And begin by thanking our sponsors for this morning cheer. To thank our Talmud Torah sponsor for other base To thank Leah Soul for dedicating all the Shur and Drushos this month. In honor of all of those who planned our beautiful groundbreaking and all those who dedicate themselves to the shul each and every day. To thank our Dafyomi sponsors, the Planka family, in commemoration of the yard site of Moshe ben Amram. Moshe Rabbeinu, today is Zion Adar. We hope that in the merit of our learning of Torah's Moshe Rabbeinu, that his Nisham Shlav and Aliyah, and that in Meretz Hashem, his Zichuyos should be a merit for all of Klal Yisrael. And to thank Dr. and Mrs. Gavant for dedicating the share today in commemoration of the 3,294th yard site of Moshe Rabbeinu. And in honor of the Dafyomi Kila on this 796th day of the 14th Dafyomi cycle and for successfully completing Seder Moed, starting Seder Nashim, and the schus of the entire shir. And Jose, so for that, with that, and Shikak for all of the dedications and sponsorships, always beautiful. And it is truly special to be able to learn Torah together on Zion Adar Amosha Abinu's yard site. And with that, let us begin. So today's daf is daf Gimel. We are going to pick up at Meretz Hashem. Actually, on top, right, right on the top of Gimel. So Jose, remember again, what we're in the middle of over here is an interesting discussion. So in yesterday's Mishnah, first of all, I apologize in advance. No tables today. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know many of you got used to the tables. We're coming back to them. So if you have a copy, hold on to it because we are going to reference it. But it happens just for today, we're not going to need the use of any of the tables. But I will say, remember again, in yesterday's daf, we outlined, we outlined the 15 different cases of where yibum can't occur because of a particular erva situation, an erva scenario. So the Gemara, what the Gemara now started with is trying to understand the order in which the 15 ervas, the 15 so-called ervas are listed, right? In other words, what, why the particular order? We started with Bito, right? And then we worked our way out. So the Gemara just ended off by saying, actually, let's just pick up with the last line of Beis and with Beis, Ela Bito, Kevan Asi Midrasha Chavivala. So the Gemara says, no, the reason we start with Bito is because the prohibition of Bito, or specifically, again, the idea that Bito is usher in, 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 in Yibum, excuse me, and that ultimately, again, Bito will also go ahead and exempt the Tzara and Tzara's Tzara, so the co-wife and co-wife's co-wife. That's learned out from a drasha. Take a look at the last Rashi on Beis and Beis. The Asra love Chaviva le'latana va'aktima b'reisho le'kamam mefarshila. So essentially, we're going to get into this now, but essentially because the case of Bito is learned out from a drasha, Chazal-like things that are learned out from drashas, more than they like things, so to speak, that are just stated explicitly in a Pasuk. And I think we ended off with this a little bit yesterday. This idea, this idea that halacha lamaisa, something that you learn out through your own accomplishment, something that you learn out through your own effort, has greater impact and has greater beauty and has greater importance than something that's simply delivered to you. So therefore the Gemara posits that since the case of Bito, and again we're going to see the drasha, since the case of Bito is learned out with a drasha, therefore it's stated first in the Mishnah. To which the Gemara says, top of, top of Gimel, Kulhu nami midrasha asu, 
I don't understand. We're going to see actually all of this is learned out from Midrash. I will say none of this, right? This whole idea. The, 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 there's a couple of things that's happening over here. Number one, that if a woman is in erva, automatically she's precluded from yibum. Even that in and of itself is not automatically understood. Why? Because also remember the whole notion of yibum by definition does what? Permits an erva. Remember again. A man's brother's wife, right? His brother's is, is an erva. So the whole notion that halacha say now you're allowed to not only allowed to, but actually, but actually obligated to go ahead and marry one. Oh, thank you. There are Yivamis notebooks if anybody would like. So the notion that halacha lamaisa again, a person is obligated to do so in and of itself is a whole chiddush to which the gemara says everything is learned out from a drasha. We're gonna again, we'll explain all of this. Look at Rashi. Kulunami leinin petur yibum midrasha asyon meachos isha. We'll say the whole notion that when one wife is pater from yibum, or petura from yibum, she exempts all of the co-wives, and furthermore, again, even the co-wives, co-wives, the tsaros, the tsaros. That whole notion, that whole concept is learned out from Madrasha. To which the Gemara says, you're right. It's true. I will say, when it, comes to the, when it comes to the concept of the Mishnah, that once a particular woman is petura from Yibum, that her petur also exempts her co-wife and what we'll call the co-wives, co-wives, the tsaros, the tsaros, all of that is learned that from Madrasha, which we'll discuss. But here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting. But all of these other erva cases, the erva itself, right? The idea that the particular women listed in the Mishnah ultimately, again, are an erva, therefore prohibited to this man, that's written explicitly in the Torah. Here's what's fascinating. Bito Iker Isura Midrasha. See, I will say, listen to this. The idea of Bito, of one's daughter, being an erva, that's not explicit. I will say, remember again, let's go back to the Mishnah for just a moment. Do you remember how he explained the case of Bito? Bito is a case of a daughter out of wedlock. And by the way, the real case of daughter out of wedlock is bas anususo, is when a man, when a man violates a woman and then they have a daughter together. They have a daughter as a result of that act. And I will say, we're going to see something fascinating, which is the Torah needs a particular drasha in order to tell me that essentially the daughter of that act is considered to be the daughter of the perpetrator. In other words, there's a havamina that since ultimately, again, this child is the result of such a violent act that perhaps, again, she shouldn't be considered his daughter. Kamash Malon, she is. That's the case of Bito. That's why Rashi goes out of his way to say the case of Bito is Davka, daughter out of wedlock. And the case of daughter out of wedlock, again, is Bas Anasuso. So says the Gemara, listen to this. Bito, Iker Isura Midrasha. Look at Rashi for just a moment. We're going we're gonna to take our time with the Rashi's here also. Iker Isurahu, Sheosha Mishum Erva Bechomakom Behejak Sibbehu. Aval Bito Me Anasuso, Da Iri Baba Masnisin, Iker Isura Midrasha Asya. So I will say, how do we know that there is an Isur Erva? between a man and the product of his act of rape, right? How, how do we know that? To which the Gemara says, Ksiv, Bito, sorry, Damarava, Amalira Asya, Heina, Heina, Asya, Zima, Zima. 
I will say it is actually again a two-fold gzera shava of of heina heina zima zima. Again, the psukim. I will say our most of us have it on the side of the on the side of the gemara. Rashi goes ahead and Rashi points out over here. We'll just look at Rashi quickly. Asya heina heina. We're actually just going to go ahead and just do the first line of each Rashi. Asya heina heina li isura. So we'll say ultimately again heina heina creates the iser. That's the gzera shava and zima zima creates the punishment of Srefa. So therefore, I will say, just let's keep our eye on the ball over here. We have a very simple task in front of us, which is a simple task and a complicated Mishnah, which is, now that we learn the Mishnah, we went through all the cases, we're just trying to figure out the order. Why did the Mishnah employ the particular order of the 15 women? That's all we're trying to figure out over here. To which the Sinai say, and specifically, we're starting with the first case, Bito. Why do we start with the case, and, and now we're understanding what's the case of Bito? What's the first case in the Mishnah? So, say, so now everything is coming together a little bit. Who's the daughter? Who's the daughter in question? The daughter in question is not simply what we'll call, I want to keep to the, uh, I want to keep to the same names I was using yesterday. Somebody did give me this feedback, not to, uh, when I say feedback, I mean criticism. So they, not, not, not to switch names in the middle of the, in the middle of the case. So good. So re- re- referencing, referencing back actually to the sheet we used yesterday at just the first table, right? We were talking about that the case of Bito, right? The case of Bito was that Reuben was married to two wives, right? Rachel and Leah. And remember again, the case of Bito was that Rachel was Shimon's daughter. It turns out that the case, the case of Bito, the way that the Gemara is setting it up over here, and the Rashi already alluded to in the Mishnah, was that Rachel was Shimon's daughter because Shimon violated her mother. Right? So Shimon violated her mother. That's the case of Bito. So I will say, that whole case, leaving aside Yibum, the idea that Rachel is really Shimon's daughter, even though their relationship is through an act of rape, right? Even though the result, right, the result. So that itself requires a drasha. That's not the typical case of daughter. That's not the typical case of Bito. That itself requires a drasha. So because that Isser Erva itself, before we get to Yibum, requires a drasha. So therefore, again, and if we go with the idea that that which requires a drasha to learn it out is more chaviv, so to speak, in the eyes of Chazal, is the reason why they put the case of Bito first. That's, that, 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 that's where we're holding with this. Let's go a little bit later. Says the Gemara, So now that you're telling me, okay, I got it. Now I understand why the case of Bito is first. And now that you're telling me, anything that's learned out from a drasha, ultimately, again, is more chaviv, is, right, is more dear to Chazal, Listne, so listne, la'achos isha le'basof. See, I say, now watch this. This is so fascinating. See, if you're going to tell me that the reason why Bito is first, the reason why Bito is first is because it's learned from a drasha. I will say, now by the way, let's be clear. Which part of Bito is learned from a drasha? Which part of Bito? Right? The core iser. Forget about Yibam for just a moment. The idea that bas anasuso, the daughter of a woman from, right, the daughter of, a, the do, your do, one's daughter from an act of violation, right, ultimately that that's, that that's a man's daughter and that's an erva, that concept is learned out from a drasha. Then, of course, we apply it in our Mishnah to a Yibum context. 
So now that I understand that that case is first because it's thrown out from a drasha, so we'll say using the nistadla of the Mishnah, which case should go last? Which case should go last? Right? The, not, well, we're not going to use the word simplest. Which word should we use? Explicit. So therefore, again, the case that's most spelled out biblically should go last. Because again, we're assuming we love drushas. Everyone loves drushas. Right? So we're starting with the item that has, is the greatest drusha, kind of working, we assume we're working our way down from there. Therefore, the last thing mentioned in the Mishnah, the last of the 15 cases, should be the case that's most explicit. And I will say, what's the case when it comes to Yibam that's most explicit? To which the Gemara says, Hashda da'armet komos da'asim u'josh chavibalei, listni la'achos isha libasof. The case of one's wife's sister ultimately should be the last. Why I will say, because apparently that is the most explicit case. How so? Look at Rashi for just a moment. Rashi says, listni achos isha libasof, tekulhu mineya finon le'inyan petur yibam le'kaman. I will say, we're going to see the paradigmatic case, right? Remember, our Mishnah is talking about cases where you can't do yibum, right? We'll say, what's the paradigmatic case where you can't do yibum? Paradigmatic case is where two brothers married two sisters, right? So let's just use this for, let's just, let's just go back to the first table for a moment. So just imagine Reuben and Shimon, Reuben and Shimon married two sisters, married two sisters. So we'll say, now what happens? Reuben dies without children. Could Shimon do yibum? No, why not? Because you can't be married to two sisters. Right? That's the case of Achos Isha. Right? That's the case ultimately, again, of your, of your wife's sister. One's wife's sister is an erva. So that's actually the part that we're going to see. That's the biblically paradigmatic case. So then Bipashtos, and that's explicit in the Torah. Bipashtos, that case should be last in the Mishnah. Yet, it's not last in the Mishnah. So how do we explain the order? So I'll say, here we go. Here we go. So he says the Gemara. No, no, no. Because the way the Mishnah worked is that since Halacha we were talking about cases of siblings, we put the case of Achos Isha as well. So I'll say, essentially you're going to see what the Gemara is saying is like this. We're going to provide a reason for why we put the first case first. But then what ends up happening is we're kind of going to break up the cases into groups. So there's a sibling group, right? There's a sibling group, right? And some of these cases fit into siblings. So therefore, again, Achos Isha, although it is the most quote-unquote explicit case because it is biblically explicit, we're going to include it in the sibling group. So watch this. So it says the Gemara V'lisnyei So why not put the sibling group at the end of the Mishnah? Put the sibling group at the end of the Mishnah. So just, you, you could see, you could see the way this is happening over here. Well, actually, we'll, we'll go back to Mishnah in just a moment. Ella, Tana, Kurvi, Kurvi, Nakit. So this is incredible. It really is. You have, you have to admit, even Gemara's like this, they're just so fascinating. Because I'll say, what, is, what does it tell you? See, I'll tell you, what, I'll tell you what you take from a Gemara like this. I'll say, do you see how much thought goes into a Mishnah? Come on, let's be honest. When we saw this Mishnah, when we saw this Mishnah, it just like, looks like a, like an, I don't want to use the word information dump because I don't like the word dump. Says, what is, but what does it feel like? An unloading of information, right? Just feels like an unloading of information. When you look at it, you, you don't assume necessarily that there's a rhyme or reason how the 15 cases are spelled out. You just say, come on, like, just give me the cases. And I was saying, isn't it an incredible thing how Chazal model for us? You have to be thoughtful. 
You have to be a thoughtful person. You have to be a thoughtful person in the way you talk. You have to be a thoughtful person in the way you convey information. You have to be a thoughtful person in the way that you live. And every single part of your life should have thought behind it. There should be nothing that I do in life that is random. There should be nothing that I do in life that just happens. Everything should be thought out. Everything should be premeditated. Everything should be planned. And everything should be thoughtful. And that's what I just want to point out. Because you think to yourself, why are we spending all this? Do I care how the 15 cases are listed? I'm just so happy if I can understand what is going on. Right? That's an accomplishment. It doesn't matter to me. Let's be honest. It doesn't matter to me what the order. Maybe it doesn't matter to us. But it matters to Chazal. Because Chazal, again, remember, through Gemara, through everything we learn, model for us how to live successful lives. And successful living requires thought. Successful living requires Seder. Successful living requires premeditation. And successful living requires a proper framework. That's what Chazal are teaching us. See, here we go, Rabbi say, Here's the order to the Mishnah. Ela, Tana Korvi Korvi Naket. So say, listen to how the Mishnah is structured. The Mishnah is structured by degree of relatives. In other words, we start with closer relatives, and then we kind of work our way out from there. So therefore, I'll say, now it makes sense. Tanabito. Now, I'll say, I want to point out. So therefore, who do we start with? Right? Who do we, so who's the closest? What's the closest case? Child. Daughter. Now, I'll say, now again, this does not negate what the Gemara said before. In other words, we want to start with Bito, because the case of Bito, I remember again, is Bas Anasuso, and we like, we like that case, you understand what I mean? In other words, the, the Gemara likes that case, the Mishnah likes that case, because again, it's learned that from a drasha. Learned that from a drasha. So that's not negating what we said before. But now the Gemara is also saying, by the way, we start with the closest relatives, and we work our way out. Therefore, I'm saying that, let's go through the cases. Tana, Bito, daughter, Bas Bito, granddaughter from my daughter, Bas Bino, daughter from my son, Dikrove Atzmo. Now I will say, those are close relatives to the man himself. What we'll call to the Yavam. Who said this to me last night at the Siyam, that they look at these cases through the vantage point of the Yavam? Somebody said that to me. I mean, it was, who was it? Yaakov? Okay, Yaakov says, right? Which is interesting. Again, you'll see Yaakov after the share. I was thinking about that afterwards a little bit. It might actually be an easier way to think about these cases, but okay, good. So I say any event. So, but here, the mission is clearly doing that. We're looking at this through the perspective of the Yavam, right? So when we look at the Yavam, the Yavam is the brother who is going to do Yibam, what we call the surviving brother. So we look at, okay, who are his closest relatives? So let's start. Daughter. Granddaughter from daughter, granddaughter from son. Okay, so those are his close relatives in this Yibum situation. Now, we'll say, now watch this. So, remember, those three represent three generations downward, right? Downward. Daughter, granddaughter, granddaughter. Okay, now once we mention three generations for the Yavam, Tana Nami Shlosha Doros Lamata Dida. Now, we'll say, what do we do? We go ahead and then we mention what? Three generations down, Dida. Who's Dida, Abosai? Dida is for his wife, for the Yavam's wife, the surviving brother's wife. Because remember again, that's the second set of cases where the widow is a relative of the Yavam's wife. So we go ahead and we do three cases down for her. Who are the three cases down for her? So we'll say, so again, if you follow along in the Mishnah, we have Bito, Bas Bito, Bas Pino, then Bas Ishto, 
Baspina, Baspita. Then we have the daughter of his wife, the daughter of the daughter of his, sorry, the daughter of her son, the daughter of her daughter. So we kind of mimic first three are his, his closest relatives, generationally down. Next three cases are her, meaning his wife's close relatives, three generations down. Now, and I watch this. So, now once we went ahead and we spoke about her three closest generations down, then what do we do? We go ahead and we list the three closest generations to her, but the generations before her. Because we'll say, what comes next in the Mishnah? What comes next in the Mishnah? Chamoso, his mother-in-law. Aim Chamoso, his mother's mother. I'm sorry, the, the mother of his mother-in-law. The Aim Chamov, and the mother of his father-in-law. Those are still all relatives on his wife's side. But as opposed to the first three, which were generations below her, these are generations above her. Right? And I will say that after that, after that, so I will say it's also an interesting style. We start with three generations below him, right? Then we go to three generations below his wife. Once we start talking about the wife, we kind of remain on her, and we go ahead and we go three generations above. Fascinating. Just fascinating to the style. So the Gemara says, then what happens? What's the next, what's the next couple of cases? Vitana, then I will say now after that, after that, we go ahead and we transition to sisters, right? Then after that, Vitana, Achoso, sister, Achos Imo, the sister of his mother, Dekrove Atzmo. Ultimately, again, there are once again, then we once again transition back to the man to speak about again his close relatives. Now, once we get into this, into the cohort, we'll call it of siblings, Tana Achos Ishto. Once we're in the sibling cohort, then what? Then we speak about Achos Ishto. Now, I remember again, we speak about Achos Ishto, even though what? Even though what? Right? Even though, remember, that's the biblically explicit case. Right? Even though that's the most obvious case, because the Torah speaks about it. But again, once we get into cohorts, and once we're looking at groupings, we include Achos Ishto in the sibling cohort. Obedinhu dilekadme lekalaso mikame eshesachiv shelo hayabaolamo. Now, the truth is, in this order, it would have made more sense to include the case of daughter-in-law. To include the case of daughter-in-law. Now, I remember again, the case of daughter-in-law was a man has a, man has a son. His son is married, right? His son is married. His son passes away. Son passes away. And the girl, right? The daughter-in-law, the, the widow daughter-in-law marries her uncle. Right, her father-in-law's brother. That's the case of Kalosso. So obviously now, when the second husband dies, the daughter-in-law falls to Yibum to her father-in-law. That's the case of Kalosso. In reality, we should have gone ahead and put the case of Kalosso ultimately again before Eishes Achiv Shaloh Remember that case? That's the case of where a brother is born, right? Ruvain, Shimon, and Levi. Ruvain dies. But Levi's not born until after Ruvain's death. So we're going to see in that type of situation, Levi never does Yibum. Levi never does Yibum. There's no Yibum scenario where the brothers are not alive at the same time. And again, we're going to, it's actually a really interesting case. We're going to get into that. So the Gemara says, And in reality, That really the case of daughter-in-law should have come before the case 
of the brother who was not living at the same time as his now deceased brother. I know that it doesn't make sense when you translate it, but you understand the case, right? right? Brothers who were not living at the same time. Why? Why should Kalosu have come first? Because I will say the case of the case of Kalosov daughter-in-law is a case of kurva, is a case of a relative, right? Remember again, a son's wife is an erva. So that should have come first. But once halacha lemaisa, once halacha lemaisa, we're speaking about situations of siblings. We included the case of the brother who was born after the death of his brother, right? We put that case before the case of daughter-in-law. I will say, here what we're struggling with is because the case of Kalaso daughter-in-law is a real erva case. Right? That's a case of someone who's related to me. So Allah said, that should have come first. But no, once we were talking about siblings, we ended off the sibling cohort, and then we put in Kala. So I will say, Mazel tov, we just finished our first sugya in Mesechus Yuvamas. And if I dare say, it was exceptional. Right? I will say, absolutely incredible. What a fascinating sugya. He'll say, but again, seriously, that's all. We just got the structure of the Mishnah. So now we see again, we're starting with Bito. We're starting with Bito. Whether we're starting with Bito because we like it, because it comes from a drasha, and ultimately Chazal like us to learn Torah that we have to struggle for. And that doesn't just get delivered to our doorstep. We have to exert ourselves a little bit. That's number one. Or second possibility, which again, they're not mutually exclusive, is we start kind of with the cases that are closest to the Yavam and then work our way out. Three for him, three for her, generations down, generations up, and we build out from there. But the entire Mishnah has, which say, such a Moser Haskil, that sometimes in life, say we see things, and when we look at it, we assume it's random and doesn't make sense, has no Seder, but that's only because we don't understand it. And what, what an important metaphor for life, because sometimes the Chodesh Baruch Hu does things in his world, and we look at it and we say, wow, that is so random. doesn't make any sense. That's because we haven't learned the sugya. The Yom has a lot of sugyas in life, a lot of sugyas. Some of them we understand, many of them we don't. But you always have to operate with the understanding that there's always a logic to the sugya. Right? Sometimes the Baruch Hu gives us a window. Sometimes he invites us to learn the sugya with him, and the circumstances of life begin to make sense. And sometimes the sugya is just beyond human comprehension. But even if I don't understand it, I must always believe that there is always a sugya, there's always an explanation, even behind the seemingly most random events in life. Let's go right there. Says about a great Gemara. My area, the tiny peturos, less niasuros. Great kasha. It keeps getting better. Both says, listen to this. So the Mishnah, remember, the way the Mishnah reads is chameshes reynoshim potros sarosehen. So we'll say, it says 15 women, potros. Potros literally means what? Literally means what? Exempt. Now both say, here's the, here's the challenge with the Lushen of potros. Right? What's, lush, what's the challenge with Lushen of potter? What does potter sound like? When you're potter from something, what does that tell you? Right? You can, you don't have to, but, but if you want to, you can. Now we'll say, that's not true. That's not true. Remember, these, these are Araya situations. So the Gemara says, I don't understand my area, the tiny potros, listening, osros. What do you mean, potros? It should be 15 women make a yibum situation. Oh, sir, this is not potter. This is not potter. Right? Ultimately, Rashi. Rashi says, my time, it's in the intermediate wide lines. My area, the tiny potros, demashma peturos, heim, vi by miabim. It makes it sound like you're potter. But if you want to do Yibum, okay, go ahead. No, no, no. This is Aser. To which the Yimar says, listen to this. Itana Osros, 
Hava Amina Asr Liyabim Aval Michlatz Chalza. Bose, here's what's fascinating. We're, we see, we're going to get into this. There are cases, there are cases where Yibum is Asr, but Chalitza is required. Yibum is Asr, Chalitza is required. The truth is, Bose, we actually saw this a little bit in the Mishnah. We saw examples of this. Right? So the Gemara says something amazing. Had it said, had it said, had it say Osros, we might have thought that Osros means Asr in Yibum, but still an obligation to perform Chalitza. The Gemara says, Kamash Malon, Kamash Malon, not Kamash Malon again, Potros, the way the Gemara is understanding Potros is kind of like you're exempted, but exempted is maybe the wrong word. Maybe what Potros means in this case is you are removed from the framework of Yibum. You don't have a seat at the Yibum table, which means there's no Yibum and what? And what? No Chalitza as well. No Chalitza as well. To which the Gemara says, to which the Asura Lachlots, so why don't you just say, why don't you just say Asura Lachlots? In other words, why don't you just say that ultimately again, it's Asura for them to do Yibum, right? And it's Asura for them to do Chalitza. In other words, why not, why not just say it? To which the Gemara says, my Ka'avit, the truth is, it's not true. We'll say, if somebody decides to do chalitza, can they do chalitza? No. <laughs> we'll say, we're going to see, if you want to walk around doing chalitza all day, right? I mean, you definitely should get a different hobby, but lemaisa, it's fine. I guess you could, do, you could take shoes off people's feet. And we'll, we'll, we'll discuss exactly what the process of chalitza is. But the truth is, if a person decides to do chalitza, it's weird. But, but lemaisa, you can't say it's usr. Can't say it's Asr. So the Gemara says, So the Gemara says, Alalalo. So the Gemara says, Im ata omer That's not true. That's not true, actually, the Gemara says. Even though technically speaking, there's no Isr. And I both say, we're going to get into the technicalities of how all of these things work. Even though there's no Isr per se in the performance of Chalitza, we don't let people perform Chalitza just as well. Why not? Because I both say, everyone knows that Yibam and Chalitza are sister concepts. And so if you allow people to walk around doing chalitza, what's going to happen? They're going to assume that what? That what? That yibum is mutros. That's very dangerous. If you allow for chalitza, if you think, oh, no big deal that people do chalitza, that's absolutely unequivocally false. Because where there is chalitza, people automatically assume that there's also the possibility for yibum. To which the Gemara says, says, to which the Gemara says, "Kevin de b'makom mitzvahu da asira tsara v'shlo b'makom mitzvah sharia mishum hachi tani potros." So we'll say this is actually very interesting. Take a look at Rashi for just a moment. Kevin de b'makom mitzvah sibum hu da asira tsara sabas uki de mefarish umas nisin dechishemiftera hakasu mezikas sibum kaimalei beishes ach sheyesh lo banim. Just read one more Rashi. Shlo b'makom mitzvah sharia. Let's take a step back. Let's translate words and we'll go back to Rashi. Rashi says, Let's just case, take the case of Bito again. Okay, go back to your table just for one moment. Let's just reference the case so clear what we're talking about. Table A. Right? Remember again, Ruben, Shimon, and Levi. Ruben's married to two wives, Rachel and Leah. And Rachel is Shimon's daughter. Right? So, we'll say, so remember again, what's the first case in the Mishnah? Bito. Ruvain dies. Ruvain dies. Two women, Rachel and Leah, fall to Shimon. Could Shimon do Yibum? Could Shimon do Yibum? No. Why not? Rachel is his daughter. Now, what else happens? Because Rachel is his daughter, what happens to Leah? What happens to Leah? 
that she's the tzara, she's the co-wife, therefore she's exempt from him as well. So we'll say, now listen to this, listen to this. The Gemara says, if you, if the, if, this is so fascinating, if the Mishnah would have used the Lashon of Osros, right, of Asira, of Aser, you would have thought that perhaps, what does Aser mean? I'm always Aser to my daughter's co-wife, even in a non-Yibum situation. Now we'll say, what's an example of a non-Yibum situation? Take a look at Rashi. Look at the Rashi. It's a Shalom B'Makom Mitzvah. This is an interesting case. Kigon Nochri Shena'asechasno. Now we'll say, now literally means, let's say I have a Nochri as a son-in-law. Now here, Nochri doesn't mean a guy. Right? It doesn't mean a non-Jew. Nochri just means what? Someone who's not related to me. Right? So let's say I have a Nochri. It could be many people think of their son-in-law as a Nochri. Right? But, 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 right? So what happens? So now someone totally unrelated to me marries my daughter. Right? Marries my daughter. So we'll say, now what happens? Let's say that guy. That guy. We'll, we'll, call him, we'll call him Yehuda. Right? So Yehuda ultimately again is married to my daughter. And Yehuda has another. Yehuda has another wife. Yehuda has another wife. Yehuda dies. Yehuda dies. We'll say, so am I allowed to marry Yehuda's other widow, the one who's not my daughter? Yes. Why? Because I will say, remember, that's not a Yibam situation. I have nothing to do with Yehuda. I mean, I have to do with him. He was my son-in-law. But, but Lamaisa, when he dies, when he dies, so again, obviously there's no, there's, my daughter is my daughter, but Lamaisa, the other woman who he was married to, was the co-wife of my daughter. But that co-wife, see, I will say, here's what the Gemara Chiddush is. Being the co-wife of an erva, only precludes a man from marrying the co-wife when? In a Yibum situation. But where there is no, what we call Zekas Yibum, where there is no Yibum connection, the co-wife of an Erva is not supposed to say, isn't that fascinating? Absolutely fascinating. So therefore, you're going to say, here's what's, here's what's amazing. So the Mishnah says, we are nervous to use the Lashon of Osros. So had the Mishnah said, Chamesha Srei Nashim, Osros Sarosehen, I would have thought, I would have thought that even in a non-Yibum situation, the co-wife of someone who is an erva to me is always Aser. But in fact, Kamashan, that's not the case. The only time that co-wife of an erva poses a problem is in Yibum scenarios. We'll say, isn't that exceptional? So let's read that in the Gemara now. So the Gemara is like this. So here's the Lashon. It's only b'makom mitzvah that that the co-wife of an erva is aser. I will say, what's the makom mitzvah? What's the makom mitzvah? Yibum. Oh, it's only in yibum that the co-wife of an erva becomes aser. V'shalom b'makom mitzvah sharia. I will say, where there is no mitzvah. In other words, what does it mean shalom b'makom mitzvah? Where the man who died is not my brother. Right, so there's no yibum situation, no yibum situation. in that type of situation, the co-wife of an erva is mutter. sharia mishum tani Therefore, again, the Mishnah wants to use lashon of peturos because they're both saying, "What does peturos sound like?" Peturos petur is dafka related to a mitzvah scenario, so it makes sense that it links the concept of the disqualification of the co-wife of an erva to a makom mitzvah to yibum. But it also tells me. 
kind of implicitly, that in a non-Yibum scenario, the co-wife of an erva will become will be permitted. Incredible. Furthermore, fine. So now I get it. Now I know why the Mishnah uses Lashon of Pturos or Potros and not Asuros. Furthermore, We'll say, why does the Mishnah have to say that these 15 women exempt their co-wives and their co-wives, co-wives, min ha-yibum, or min, I'm sorry, min ha-chalitza, min ha-yibum. Why do you have to say from chalitza and yibum, right? Why can't you just go ahead and say, listen, min ha-yibum Just say from yibum. Just say from yibum. I, to which the Yimar says, itana min ha-yibum, hava amina michlatz chalza, yivume lo miyavma. I'll say, because once again, I would have thought that if it would have just said yibum, that maybe, again, what that means is that halacha lamaisi can't do yibum in these cases, but what? But what? But chalitza is mandated. Kamash malon, grosse, and here, underline these lines, because this is going to be an operating principle for us. Kala ole liyibum, ole lechalitza, vechal she'eno ole liyibum, eno ole lechalitza. There, we'll say, the Mishnah teaches us a very important principle. It is only when you are eligible for yibum that you are eligible for chalitza, but if you are not eligible for Yibum, you are not eligible for a Chalitza. And I will say, that, that concept is true in every situation except when it's not, right? So again, what we're, we're going to see, we're going to see, I will say, like every rule, right? There's no such thing as a rule. Aside from Anochi Hashem Elokecha, right? There, there's, no, there's no rule, right, that doesn't have exceptions, right? Every Zachar Samashabbos Lakad show is a rule. Does it have an exception? Yeah, pikuach nefesh. Right? There are, of course, everyone. So we'll say. So again, it's okay for Chazal to 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 articulate a rule, and that sounds like it has no, but it does, right? But in general, the principle is, like we just said before, yibum and chalitza are two sides of the same coin. We'll say this is fascinating. Okay, so now I got it, right? So let's work our way through. So now I understand the order of the 15 women. I also understand why it says potros, and it doesn't say asuros. I also understand why it has to say yibum and chalitza, because that teaches the two sides of the same coin. What I don't understand is the order. They will say, what does the Mishnah say? These 15 women exempt themselves, or they, they their co-wives and their co-wives are all exempt. Why do you put chalitza before yibum? Right? Shouldn't it be min hayibum or min chalitza? This is fascinating. Inami min chalitza lechuda. Or about so you could also say, by the way, what also seems to come out over here is just exempt them from chalitza. Because it would sound like if you're going ahead and exempting someone from chalitza, you certainly what? There's no yibum either. Okay. To which the Gemara supposed to say, this is fascinating. Abashalhi. The truth is, the Mishnah is reflective of the view of Abashal. Listen to this. Da'amar, mitzvah's chalitza kodemes la mitzvah's yibo. Wow. And I will say, we are going to get into this. This is going to be a dramatic and fascinating sugya. Rashi quotes over here. We have a little bit of time till we get to it. Abashal is of the opinion that we always discourage yibum and always encourage chalitza. Now, I will say, now, what's going to be the reason for that? Abishal has a very, has, has a fascinating approach to Yibam. If you look at Rashi, Rashi says over a second to last line, Rashi says, Abishal, he, Beparaka Cholitz, Abishal, Omer Hakonis, Yevimto, Lashem Noi, Ulashem Ishos, Kilupogea, Be'erva, the Karov, Be'enai, Lios, Havlad, Mamzer. So I will say, Abishal says something dramatic. Abishal says, Yibam is only permitted if the marriage is purely and wholly for the sake of of establishing a family line for the deceased brother. If the surviving brother marries the widow because he finds her attractive, 
because he finds her beautiful, because he likes her personality, he's attracted to her amidos, whatever, whatever it is, something other than a pure intent to establish a line for his brother, Abishol says, it's erva, it's arayas. And Abishol says, I think if a man goes through with that union and has a child, that kid might be a mamzer. It can't be a mamzer. So we'll say, so, okay, so now it makes sense. Like, all right, what, once that's the threshold for Yibum, very few takers for that, right? And we'll say, that, 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 that is, so Abishol says, you know what, I'm going to recommend Chalitza for you, right? So Abishol says Chalitza. So we'll say, Tosis has this idea also. Tosa again, we'll leave Tosa a different time. And we'll say, therefore, again, we go ahead and therefore the, the Mishnah reflects the view of Abishol. That's why, again, Chalitza is mentioned First, right? So, we'll say, so you really, by the way, what you begin to see is there is a lot of nuanced information getting packed into this Mishnah, almost setting the stage for us for so many things that are to follow. Good. So, we'll say, so now we know the Mishnah. Not all of it yet. Watch this. Interestingly enough, whenever you see, we, we know this through our journeys in Shas, right? Through Shas, which is whenever a Mishnah highlights a number, a number is always to, a, a, num, a number includes what's stated, but also what? Implicitly excludes something else. So when you say there are 15 women who are themselves exempted, co-wives exempted, co-wives of co-wives exempted, all of these people are exempted, by definition, by definition, you're excluding someone else from that list. So I will say, the Mishnah just points out, the Gemara just points out over here, that the number is mentioned twice. In the beginning of the Mishnah, the number 15 is mentioned. At the end of the Mishnah, it says uh, another line, Hare Elu Potros. Elu, again, is another, restating the number. So I will say, what is the number coming to exclude? Which, I mean, the fact that you're telling me there are 15 indicates to me that there are others who didn't, quote-unquote, make the Mishnahic cut. Who are they? Really some fascinating cases. Bose comes to exclude the cases of Rav and Ravasi. What are the cases? Here we go. Well, look at Rashi. The Rav Ravasi. First Rashi, give him days. To Amarav, Saras, Sota, Asura. Shemzinsa Ishto, Velo Isha, Haris, Mes, Velo Bonim, Shteyan, Potros. So Bose, listen to this. Rav says, so I will say, let's, let's say again, Ruben, I'm just going to keep using from the first chart. Ruben is married to two women, Rachel and Leah. And what happens? Rachel is suspected of adultery. So there's a whole process when a woman is suspected of adultery. She goes to the Beis Amikdash, there's the process of the Sota. So let's say now Ruben dies before the Sota process ever got a chance to get started. Right? So ultimately, again, she is what's called, she's a Sota. She's a Sota. So I will say, so now what happens? Rav says that Halacha Lameisa a sota, now when Ruvain dies and Rachel's a sota, as a sota, she's going to be asura to Shimon, to the surviving brother. So Rav says, by the way, just like Rachel is a sota and therefore she's asur, so to Leah, her co-wife is asur as well. That's Rav's position. Now clearly, again, our Mishnah did not accept that case. Again, we'll talk about it more. Our Mishnah did not accept that case. So according to Rav, the Mishnah comes to exclude that case. According to Rav Asi, Interestingly enough, it comes to exclude, exclude the case of Ilanis. Remember again, same case. Reuben is married to Rachel and Leah. Let's say in this case, instead of Rachel being a Sota, Rachel is an Ilanis, right? She's a woman who is incapable of having children and ultimately, again, lacking signs of certain signs of physical maturation as well. So ultimately, again, Ravasi says the same way that the Ilanis doesn't do Yibam, right? Because we'll say, obviously, the whole point of Yibam is to have children. If, if Rachel is an Ilanis, he doesn't do Yibam. So again, Ravasi will say her co-wife Leah 
is also exempt from Yibam. So we'll say these are the two additional cases of Rav and Rabasi that are not included in the Mishnah. So the Gemara says, Rav or Rabasi, So we'll say, according to Rav and Rabasi, who hold that these cases should be included, which cases would they exclude from the Mishnah? So listen to this, it's really fascinating. So the Gemara says, So we'll say, if, assuming that Rav and Rabasi both agree to each other's cases, say this is fascinating. So assuming that Rav and Ravasi both agree to the other, each other's cases, the Mishnah would come to exclude two very interesting cases, which is, one would exclude ultimately against Saras Mima Enes. So say, take a look at Rashi. Saras Mima Enes. Listen to this. We're going to see this is an interesting case. Back to Reuven. Reuven is married to Rachel and Leah. Rachel is a minor. Rachel is a minor, which means her brother or her mother married her off. Reuven dies. Rachel does miyun to Shimon. We're going to see this case where Rachel says, I don't want to marry you. She says, John, I don't want to marry you. So I will say, so we're going to see that there's an opinion that holds that once Rachel does miyun, ultimately the co-wife is precluded from Yibum as well. So it could be that one is to exclude that case. And the other is Machsir Grushaso. They both say, this is fascinating. Back to Ruvain, right? Ruvain is married to Rachel and Leah. Ruvain divorced Rachel. Rachel went and married uh, Zvulun, right? And then I both say, what happened? Rachel and Zvulun got divorced. I both say, the halacha is, you're not allowed to remarry your wife if she married someone else in the interim. Or you can't remarry your ex-wife if she married someone else in the interim. In other words, if a couple get divorced, right? And then they decide to reconcile, and the wife has not married anyone else in the interim, they could get back together. In this case, Rachel and Reuven got divorced. Rachel married Zulun. She got divorced from Zulun. Ultimately, Reuven illegally remarries her. And I will say, again, this is the type of illegal relationship. We're going to talk about this. This is the type of illegal relationship where it works. In other words, Halacha might say there are some illegal relationships where they're so illegal that if you try to affect Kiddushin, it doesn't work. Example of that, right? Daughter, right? Bito. Man tries to marry his daughter, there's no such thing as kiddushin in that case. But let's say again, a guy wants to marry his wife who's been married, who right, they got divorced, he wants, to re- he wants to remarry his wife who had been married to someone else in the interim. Halachamai says, it's us, sir, it's us, sir, but it works. So I both say, so listen to this. In that case now, so Ruvain remarries Rachel. Now what happens? Ruvain dies. Rachel and Leah fall to Shimon. So again, there's an opinion that says that because Rachel, because Rachel, was part of an illegal marriage to Ruvain, she's precluded from Yibum, and ultimately again precludes her co-wife as well. So we'll say, so therefore that would be another case that was that was that was excluded from the Mishnah. And ultimately again, if Rav and Rabasi do not agree to each other's cases, then Then I'll both say one what then then one number, so to speak, would exclude the other one's case. And the other minion at the end of the Mishnah would exclude one of these other two aforementioned cases as well. Beautiful. So we'll say, Rav, Ravasi, Lisninu, Lisninu, to which the Gemara says, so we'll say, according to Rav and Ravasi, why not go ahead and include these cases? So we'll say, Rav and Ravasi say that the two cases excluded by the Mishnah were the case ultimately, again, of Sota and ultimately, and ultimately, um, and Islandess, and Islandess. According to Rabbi Ravasi, why not include these cases in the Mishnah? To which the Gemara says something very interesting, Lefi, She'ina B'tzaras Tzara. 
because at the end of the day, interestingly enough, these cases of Ilinus and Sota do not have the impl- same implications by Saras Tsara, for the co-wife of the co-wife. So I will say, remember again, in order to be included in the Mishnah, you have to fit a model. What's the model? That the woman herself is an erva, right? And by definition would preclude her co-wife from doing yibum. And that even if that co-wife ends up in a yibum situation with another one of the brothers, that co-wife will answer any other subsequent co-wives. But apparently in the cases of Sota and the case of Ilinus, as much as their answer, and they could potentially go ahead and answer their their Tzara, their co-wives, they would not answer in the case of Tsaras Tsara. Okay, good. So we'll say let's get, let's drill down a little bit more into the Gemara now. So says the Gemara, Minhani Mili. So we'll say, so now, now we're really getting into it. So Minhani Mili, we'll say, look at Rashi, Minhani Mili, the erva vitsarasa, vitsaras, tsaras the olden potro. So we'll say, how do we know this framework of the Mishnah? In other words, I will say the notion, the notion that halacha lemaisa, sorry, I know, here, there's a couple things we have to learn. Number one, that an erva can't do yibum, or better stated, that the surviving brother can't do yibum with an erva. Because also remember again, we need a limud like that, because remember, the whole notion of yibum is what? Is what? Is marrying an erva. Right, I will say again, let, let, like the, the, the great chiddish of yibum is as follows. A brother's wife is Aser. A brother's wife is Aser, right? So the notion that a man can marry his widowed sister-in-law is a Chiddush. So first of all, where do we know that from? Number two, where do we know that by other Erevas, the presence of an Ereva or an Ereva identity precludes Yibam? How do I know that once the Ereva is precluded from Yibam, her co-wife becomes precluded from Yibum. And how do I know that even when the co-wife enters into a different Yibum relationship, when that brother dies and everyone falls to the, what we'll call the Erva brother, that everyone is precluded from you? How do I know all that? So here we go, Now we're going to delve into it. Minhani Mili, here we go. The Tan Rabbanon, Isha alachos alosikach litzrar legalos ervasa alea bechayeha. So the Pasek says as follows, the Isha alachosa. Let's just translate the Pasuk. And a man, and right, and a man, right, and ultimately again, a woman and her sister, a person should not come close to uncover their nakedness upon him during the lifetime. So, okay, so let, let's analyze this. So, says the Gemara, says the Gemara, Aleha Matamud so I'll say, what does Aleha mean? Now I'll say, so just to point out over here, this is the prohibition to marry a woman and her sister, right? Isha Elachosa. So ultimately, again, I will say, so now what's the lashon of Aleha? Says the Gemara, Yevama Yavo Aleha. Oh, very interesting. I'll say, Aleha is the same lashon we find by Yibum, right? The Paz says, Yevama Yavo Aleha, which literally means the Yavam. The surviving brother who does Yibum should have relations with his now new wife, his former sister-in-law. I might have thought that Yibum should take place even if the widow is any kind of erva to the surviving brother. To which the Gemara says, I will say, ultimately, again, we make the Gzir Shava of Aleha, Aleha. Ultimately, what? To teach us what? Malahalon bimako mitzvah. Just like the, over there, we're talking about the case of a mitzvah, 
Afkan b'makom mitzvah. So to over here, we're talking about the mitzvah of Yibum. And what does the Torah say? Va'amrachmano lo sikach. And the Torah ultimately says, you can't go ahead and take them. So both say, so now what the Yomar's understanding is like this. The Pasuk that teaches me that I can't marry a one woman and her sister is also teaching me another halacha. There's two halachas embedded in this Pasuk. Isha elachosa lo sikach litzrar. So we'll say, right? I can't go ahead. So now we, let's translate the Pasuk a little bit more, a little bit more explicitly. I cannot take a woman and her sister litzrar. I will say litzrar means what? How would you translate litzrar? As sorrows, as co-wives, right? I cannot go ahead and take those women as co-wives. Legalos ervasa, to uncover their nakedness. Aleha. Aleha. Now I will say, now what does Aleha teach me? Oh, I will say Aleha creates a gzera shava between the isr of what we call achos ishto and yibum. And yibum. And what does it teach me? That halacha lemais, as much as yibum is a mitzvah, but if the case of yibum, if, if the situation of yibum leads to achos isha, you can't do yibum. So, I'll say, so just to illustrate that, Reuven and Shimon are brothers, and Reuven and Shimon are married to two sisters. Reuven dies. Reuven dies. Now, again, Reuven's widow falls to Shimon and yibum. So, again, Shimon can't do yibum. Why? Because Shimon's present wife is the sister of the Yavama. And the Torah explicitly, implicitly teaches us that Allah Chalamaisa Yibum in that type of Erva situation is going to be us. This is what we meant before when we said that the case of Achos Ishto is the explicit case. See, I will say, just I want to say, the Pasik that we're referring to over here is a Pasik that just generally prohibits marrying a woman and her sister. That's the Pasik. The extra word aleha, which is the word that's also found in the yibum context, creates a halachic bridge to yibum to say, by the way, even in a yibum situation, which normally allows a man to marry a woman who was previously an erva, will preclude you from doing so when that woman is your present wife's sister. Incredible. And the Torah says, you can't take her. I only know that this applies to the, to, the, to the widow who is also my sister's wife, Tzaras Saminayim. How do I know that it also applies to the widow's co-wife? So Talmud Lomar, Litzror. I must say, listen to this. So therefore the Torah uses the lotion of Litzror. Now Rashi says, or Litzror means Tzaros Harbe. Tzaros Harbe. I say it refers even to many other wives. Rashi says, because you could have written that word in a shorter form. He could have said Latzor. The fact that it uses an elongated form, litzror, comes to include every other wife who is tethered to the widow. Right? So, say, so again, remember, we're talking about a very specific case over here, where Ruvain, right, Ruvain dies, Ruvain dies, actually, I'm, right, Ruvain dies, he leaves behind two wives, Rachel and Leah, right, there's Shimon, Shimon now wants to do Yibam, the problem is, Shimon is married to Rachel's sister, married to Rachel's sister, so the Torah tells us, you're not allowed to marry a woman and her sister, and that's true even in a Yibam situation. I, how do I know that the prohibition to do Yibam is going to spread to Leah as well, the co-wife, Litzrar. Litzrar. You can't have any type of marital bond with any, right? No type of yibum bond, even with someone else who Allah Chalamaisa was connected to the erva. Ve'eni ala tsarasa, tsaras, tsarasa minayin. I only know that applies to the actual co-wife. 
How do I know the case of the co-wife's co-wife? I will say, I, that, that's, remember, that was, just, just to refresh your memory, that was in table A, the last case, right? That's where ultimately, again, Leah, the non-Ereva wife, ends up going ahead and marrying Levi. The other, the third brother, Levi dies. Levi also had another wife, Miriam. Miriam now falls to Shimon, the first brother, Right, who couldn't do Yibam because he was related to one of the wives. Again, that's the case of Tsaras Tsara, that even Miriam can't go ahead and marry Shimon and Yibam. So how do I know this? To which the Gemara says, Tavolomar litzror velo latzor. I will say, once again, it's fascinating. The entire drasha is really focused on the concept of litzror. Since the Torah writes this word longhand, Right? It comes to include anyone and everyone who has any level of marital bond to this original erva situation. Incredible. So remember, all this teaches me is that I can't do Yibam when? When? In the case of my wife's sister. How do I know that it applies to every single other erva? Listen to this. Amrit, let's go. So I will say, what's unique about Achos Ishto? In the case of one's wife's sister. I will say, what's the halacha? What's, she's in Erba, number one. And ultimately, again, if you intentionally have relations with her, it's Kares, unintentionally. You know, Shogig, right? Shogig situation. I don't know. Right? Right? Chatos. Right? Chatos. That carries with it again a Chatos penalty. Right? So we're creating a paradigm. We're creating a paradigm. What's unique about Achos Ishto? It, it satisfies these three criteria. Number one, erva. Number two, intentional, kares, unintentional, chatos. Af koshi erva, vechayavan azadona kares, vashigagasa chatos, asura liyavam. So we'll say, so again, pretty much, once you create the framework, once you create the framework, anyone who fits into that framework, ultimately again, is going to fall into this halacha. So if you're erva, intentionality, kares, unintentional, chatos, is also to do Yibum. The Eli Elahain, that only teaches me the Erva herself, Tsarosayan Minayim. How do I know about say that this halacha will apply to all of the Tsaros of anyone who's an Erva? Amrit Ma Ochosishtam Yuchadeshi Erva, Vichayavan Azadona Kares, Ashigasa Chatos, Asuriyavam, Vitsarasa Sura. They both say it's the same thing. Achos Ishta creates the paradigm. Achos Ishta creates the paradigm. She's in Erva. Intentionality is kares. Unintentionality ultimately is a chatas, and she precludes her tsaras. Af koshi erva vechayavan azadona kares vashi gugas chatas vasura liyavam saraso asura. Ultimately, I will say, Zaloch l'maisa. Anyone who fits the bill, right? Anyone ultimately again who fits the paradigm of erva kares chatas is herself aser and makes her tsaros asura. Mikan amru. Based on this, Chazal said, "Mikan Amru Chachamim Chamesh Esrei Nashim Potros Tzaroseyan Vitzaros Tzaroseyan Min Achalitza Uminayibom Ad Sof Haolam." And I will say, so now we see it. So everything comes from Achos Isha. Achos Isha, the case of, of a wife's sister, is the paradigmatic case of Erva, but also creates the paradigm ultimately again for Yibum and teaches us again that the Erva is exempted, the Tzara of the Erva is exempted, and Tzaros, Tzaros of the Erva is exempted. I will say, Shkoyach, stop over there for today.